Welcome to an edition of our Lions Live Q&A now on the the Spotify Green Room app, uh, formerly the Locker Room app. If you want to join us, uh, download the, the Spotify Green Room app on your mobile devices. Join us on Saturday mornings, usually around 1030 a.m. My name is Jeremy Rice, and by the way, I am the editor-in-chief of Pride of Detroit and the co-host of these Q&As. With me are my two panelists, my two co-hosts. Uh, Eric Schlitt is here uh, at Eric Schlitt, the managing editor of Pride of Detroit. How are you doing, Eric? Hey, buddy. I, I know uh, the, the name's going to take a cha- some, you know, getting used to it. The whole green room thing versus the yes. locker room thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's throwing me. I know it's probably throwing you, too, as well. So uh, we'll, we'll forgive you if you uh, slip up here and there. <laughs> I appreciate that. And our other panelists slash co-host, Ryan Matthews at Ryan underscore POD. Ryan, how are we doing this weekend? I, I feel like I need to be dubbed like the Indiana Jones because I was able to find this room and now I am I am engaging in it and I'm getting gems. So there's layers Careful. to this. What? Careful. Don't don't pick up the, the one gem, you know, that, that makes the big ball roll. I don't know. I don't I'm not a huge fan of that series either. I'm sorry. I'm bad at movies. I'm bad at popular movies, everybody. Yeah, you really like Fast and Furious though, but you know, we digress. Yes. Except for, yeah. Anyways, um, if this is your first time listening or joining us live, um, we do a live Q&A here where we talk pretty much spend the entire time answering your questions. This is going to be a little different because uh, we, we are on a new app and I think people are trying to navigate it. So we're going to start with a topic of our own for the first time. And uh, Ryan actually wanted to get in here a little bit because I wrote a column this week about um, it was about Brad Holmes and Matthew Stafford. So Brad Holmes made a comment this week basically saying, um, when he was first interviewing for the job, he had no intentions of trading Matthew Stafford. He wanted to keep Matthew Stafford, and in fact, he may have keep he may have kept some wide receivers if if Matthew Stafford said like, "I want to work with this guy." There's you know an inbuilt chemistry, and so my take on that was that Matthew Stafford actually did this franchise a huge favor um, because Brad Holmes may have kind of led this team down more of a retool instead of a full rebuild, which is what I think the team needed. But uh, I'm curious as to as to what you guys think. Yeah, so I, I thought that this was an interesting topic from from a few different angles because one, um, as you as you noted in your article uh, that that was published yesterday, Jeremy, was that Brad Holmes had full intentions of Matthew Stafford being the team's quarterback, like when yep. he was when he was interviewing for the job, when he was in the hiring process, like he like Matthew Stafford was going to be his, but. It was interesting because during the coaching search, during the GM search, it it was reported by ESPN, by Dan Graziano and Jeremy Fowler, that something that was deterring like somebody like Matt Campbell was like the future of Matthew Stafford with the franchise. So I was kind of curious about how those things maybe either either Brad Holmes is being very you know he's being very um, honest and open, and maybe maybe he truly thought Matthew Stafford was going to be his. But I, I'm right there in agreement with you, Jeremy. Like, you don't write too many opinion pieces. Um, but I, I think that Matthew Stafford definitely set this franchise on a rebuild, I think, personally. I, I know we're going to get into the, you know, the nuances of retool versus rebuild. But, I mean, trading your franchise quarterback and getting what, you know, you know getting what Brad Holmes got in return – it really it, it set the franchise on a trajectory that was going to be completely different if Matthew Stafford was going to stay in town. Yeah, and I, I guess my concern, you know, 
as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, like I'm a, I'm a huge Matthew Stafford fan. I'm actually rooting for him in, in Los Angeles, you know, to, to a degree, obviously, since the Lions draft pick depends on it. But um, I just don't know if continuing with him would have been the right move because, you know, this team was low on resources. Um, and, and that meant we probably would have had endure a couple more years of what we've been trying the past decade, which is Matthew Stafford carrying a poor roster. And then in two years, his contract's up. And then what do you do when he's 36 or 35 or whatever? Do you, you know, roll the dice one more time with Matthew Stafford and hope those two rebuilding years or retooling years will eventually get a good supporting cast around him or, or not? And to me, I just think it, it, it was easier for everyone and, and smarter for everyone to just kind of hit the full rebuild button. And, and Matthew Stafford is the one who really accelerated it because it sounds like Brad Holmes wasn't prepared to necessarily do that. So uh, I agree with you um, almost completely, but I, I will play devil's advocate here a little bit and say that uh, if they were to have retained Matthew Stafford, the offense would have been much further along. But sure. but conversely, the defense would have also been further behind because, as you mentioned in the piece, if you are keeping Matthew Stafford and then you're uh, spending money to retain receivers that he wants to, to, to maintain a higher level of offense, then the money for Romeo Aquar is not there. And, and now you've hurt the defense pretty at a pretty significant starter spot. Um, You've also probably taken away a couple more. Like you said, the Brockers trade might not be an, an option as well. And then you're rolling with Nick Williams and maybe a couple of rookies. And that's not as, as appealing as the system that they have in place now. So right now, both offense and defense maybe have taken a step back to kind of level themselves out. And you can now create more of a balanced roster. Whereas if you were to have retained Stafford, I think you still would have been very offense heavy and maybe that gives you a chance to win. Um, and then you really just have to focus on the defensive side of the ball heavily the next couple of off seasons. Um, and then how long has, can, can they maintain that? I mean, that's a strategy that's not been working, right. uh, but with a different coaching staff, could that have worked? Cause you can, you see other teams do it. Um, I, I do think there was a chance, I, I, uh, but I also agree with you that this is probably a better way to to build a team. And, and, and realistically, we won't feel the full impact of this trade for two more off-seasons because right. we have two more first-round picks coming. And how those play out, I think, is really going to be uh, the deciding factor. Like, look, Ryan uh, wrote in his article today that you're going you're to see a lot of people compare Goff versus Stafford but you, it's really unfair because there's two first round picks that come along with it. Plus, uh, what it was it Melifanu or McNeil? I forget which one. It was Melifanu, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah. like that is an, another massive part of that that I think get, could easily get overlooked, especially in the short term. Yeah, I, I think right. so for I, sure. Yeah. Well, that's a good primer uh, to a nice little conversation to start things off. Um, we're going to go now to our, our crowd here, our audience. Um, let's start with a, a text chat um, from Lucas. He asks, what is the projected split between Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift? This, this, this is a hot topic here because I, I think ever since that, that athletic article where Anthony Lynn is talking about the run game and he refers to, you know, A back and B back, everyone's like, oh my gosh, DeAndre Swift isn't going to get enough carries. Uh, is, I guess first is, is there any anxiety of that for you guys? And, and two, um, what, what do you think that split is? And let's, let's start with K 
carries instead of maybe just touches because uh, I think touches is, is, is a di- is a completely different conversation. Yeah, it's probably a, a very different conversation. But I mean, are we attacking this question from the perspective of like? you're a fantasy owner and you're interested in, in the split between these guys or like, are you just like wondering, wondering about like for the, the, the welfare of the team? I, I think that when it comes to carries, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see it be like really close to a 50, 50 split in terms of carries. Um, but I mean, you, you start talking about things like snaps and touches. Like, I think that it's, that's generally probably going to favor Deandre Swift. But they didn't bring they didn't bring Jamal Williams in for nothing, and they didn't get rid of Carryon Johnson because they didn't believe in Jamal Williams' ability to be, you know, uh, a three down capable back um, who I think can. I mean, th- this is the way that I kind of envision it. Like it really reminds me of the New Orleans Saints backfield when they had Kamara and they had Mark Ingram. I sure. think it could be something similar in that fashion. That you know, we've heard comments that you know Anthony Lynn he'll ride the hot hand, right? Yeah, yeah. He did say so, that. Yeah, so I mean, there were definitely times in New Orleans where, you know, Mark Ingram's chugging along. He's got 16 carries for 120 yards. I mean, why why not keep feeding him the rock? You know, so and, and you would see entire series. Now, this would obviously madden any any fantasy owners of Alvin Kamara, <clears throat> myself, to not see <laughs> Kamara out there for like an entire series. But like that wouldn't entirely shock me to see like you know maybe maybe a drive without DeAndre Swift just because Jamal Williams is holding things down. I, I don't know. I Maybe I'm too high on Jamal Williams, but I truly think he's going to have a very large role. Is that what you think, Eric? Yeah, I, I do think he's going to be um, a, a significant player. And, and, you know, I was – I just started that rookie snap count review series, right? Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm – right now I'm working through DeAndre Swift's snap counts. And I think one of the consistent themes was that he was just, we just wanted more of him. You know what yep. I mean? No matter what we got, we still felt like he should have been out there more. And, and maybe that's because of the, the surrounding cast of, of Peterson and, and carry on not being as uh, successful as Swift was. But when you look at his snap counts, especially down the stretch, he was on the field for the last five games he played. He was on the field for 57% of the snaps, 68, 65, 54, and 73% of the snaps. Like, that's over – I mean, look, he's over getting over half the snaps, and yet all of us were still like, he needs more, he needs more, right? Because he's just such a talented kid. Now, if he gets a 50-50, that gets scaled back a little bit. You know what I mean? And so maybe it's not 50-50. Maybe it's like 60-40. And, and the hot hand comes into play here and there uh, as well. I My guess is that they will be featuring Swift uh, a little bit more. Uh, but they're not going to shy away from Williams, uh, especially if, if he's the one that's being productive on, on that particular matchup. So, um I think kind of the DeAndre Swift that we saw down the stretch is what I'm expecting to see next year. And, and again, I, I still expect us to be looking at this going, he should be out there more, and he's going to get like 70% of the snaps, and we're still going to think he needs more. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jeremy, I, I, I totally foresee this probably happening at some point, but there's going to be a point during the season where the Slack channel is going to it's going to go full Amir Abdullah theoretic. Like, why aren't we splitting the backfield and having both those guys back there at the same time? And whenever it happens, it's going to be at Christmas day. Um, but looking at, looking at ESPN's fantasy projections, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, I mean, they're just projections, but they have, 
Uh, Jamal Williams is projected to get 134 carries, and DeAndre Swift getting 188. Hmm. I, I think that's, it, that's reasonable, honestly, I th- and I think maybe that's that's somewhat close. Yeah, I, I don't think it's quite going to be 50-50, but, it, but I'm with you, Ryan, that I think he absolutely, Jamal Williams is absolutely going to have a, a, a big, significant role here, and um, where, where I think the touch is really you know, we'll, we'll start to differentiate is, is in the passing game there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Real? I, I, I think you're, you're right in that. Um, I do think, I, I do think we're going to get some split backfield. I really do. And, and maybe, maybe it's not two in the backfield. Maybe it's one lined up out wide and one in the backfield, but I think we're finally going to get it this year after, after years and years and years of just really needing two backs out there at once. <laughs> I, I think, I think we're, we're finally going to get it this year. Yeah. And that's just, uh, I, I guess I, it's not something I necessarily saw just to clarify there. I, I saw a quick question in the chat that said, who's the goal line back? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because both are small. Uh, I think Swift showed he can be a goal line back last year. And then Williams is probably the more natural short yardage back. Um, but I think both can be effective in the goal line. And I think if you split it, you can, um, you can reduce the wear and tear on those type of, on those, in those types of situations. And then if you, you know, Justin Jefferson proves, not Justin Jefferson, Jamal Jefferson proves that he can be, um, effective in that type of situation, you know, he could, you uh, jump in in that scenario as well well and, and real quick I, th- I think what's to your point eric is like you get speed in that backfield like swift yeah. and like williams you put them both back there what's going to stop you know jared goff from motioning deandre swift out into the slot and you know using that short area quickness to run a slant route or something like that and that's gonna that's gonna pull a defender out of the box so you want to hand it off to jamal williams i yeah the really tr- like i really like the potential for this backfield yeah, I mean it's it's all about matchups, right? That's the, they keep preaching yeah. that. They, they want to yeah. set those matchups up. Now you, you don't want to. I don't think you want to start Swift out in the slot uh, against a DB. I mean that's gonna. It's the same theoretic argument, right? That sure, you don't want right. to match up yeah. against a DB because that takes away his advantage. But if you can flank him out uh, pre-snap and get him up against a linebacker, well, we've seen how effective that can be uh, already. Exactly. Yep. All right. Uh, I'm going to stop the show for a second and just let you guys know this is going to be a very different uh, edition of our Q&A because none of my speaker requests are showing up anymore. So I guess from now on, let's just take questions from the chat. I'm sorry to do that. Uh, The other option would be to restart the room completely, and I don't think we really want to do that. Um, So we'll just continue to take questions from the chat. Sorry for you guys that were waiting in the queue. Your guys' literary names are just not showing up. So... Uh, let's let's go to um to I guess some some mild news that broke uh was it yes it was yesterday right uh Jonathan Adams uh gets cut the Lions sign a receiver that I can't remember because I'm not being prepared <laughs> and Chad Hansen Chad Hansen thank you um I, I guess I mean it's sometimes a little bit surprising to see a UDFA get cut before training camp but uh, at the same time we're talking about guys that are you know at the bottom of a 90-man roster um so i guess um did this news surprise either of you two and and can you can you justify it maybe oh, it surprised me a little bit because i thought adams was having a good camp i thought he was the best of the udfas but um i still didn't have him in my top six you know what i mean yeah and um you know 
it's I, I've heard some stuff behind the scenes that um, aren't flattering, but that typically happens whenever um, a player leaves. Right. You, you get some uh, notes uh, from unnamed sources that, you know, say, uh, well, this wasn't working and here's why. And, and so it sounds like maybe it was a personality conflict uh, with him and the rest of the staff. I don't know. It's hard to say because, you know, they gave a lot of money to come to Detroit. So right. um I thought he was playing well. I thought he had a chance. And um, so it was a bit surprising to see that he was gone. The fact that he was playing better than some of the other guys and he was the one that cut that was uh, cut tells me there's maybe something else going on there beyond just what was happening on the field. Um, now, Hanson is an interesting guy because he is a guy who played his college ball at least one season with Jared Goff. Right. And he had a moderate season with Jared Goff, but then after Goff left, he had he was a starter and he had a breakout season. He left, jumped for the NFL early, was drafted by the Jets, then you know bounced around uh, after his season to a few different teams landed in Houston he became um, one of Deshaun Watson's guys uh, and he was elevated for five, uh, five games last season he got a couple elevation games uh, with the whole COVID rules then he got uh, signed to the active roster for three games so he had five in total he had a hundred yard game with Deshaun Watson Watson spoke highly of him quite a bit so he's a guy I guess um you know, that they thought was a player that had potential and, and, um, you know, was, so it's, it's an interesting player to bring in. Uh, again, uh, he's not going to be in my top six right now. Um, but you know, I'm okay with bringing in veterans as opposed to just, you can't have a roster of all young guys. Right. And so <laughs> if, if one young guy isn't fitting in or he doesn't want to be here or the team, you know, doesn't, they think they have a, a, a plethora of talent at that position, then I'm okay with getting some veterans to uh, compete. So, so what you're saying, Eric, is uh, Chad Hansen is to Jared Goff as Chris Durham was to Matthew Stafford, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Um, okay. And I think uh, I think Chris Burke pointed out that his uh, mock draftable comparisons were um, Chris Lacey. So, oh, okay. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so he's a guy that uh, you know could show up and get, like he's look he's a he's a. Uh, He's like 6'2", so um, he can play inside, he can play outside. He's, mo- he's been on the outside uh, more often than not last year. Uh, but when um, – oh, gosh, what's that guy's name in uh, Houston that was suspended? Um, thank you. When Will Fuller was suspended last year, Hanson was the guy that came up to replace him. So he essentially like kind of took his spot. And he, and he produced. And he produced uh, in, a, in a tough spot on a bad team. So um, it's worth a shot. You know, I'm not, you know, putting him – ahead of uh you know my like i said my my top guys but you know why not why not you know start now that you've got a chance to see what your roster has in, in otas and minicamp or you've at least got to uh assess their skill sets uh it's okay to make moves and i and i wouldn't be surprised if this was just the first of a couple of moves that get made uh before training camp Yep. And worth noting, the Lions still have that open roster spot, just in case. I, I think I think it's it's like a hole in the wall that's exactly Todd Gurley shaped, but we'll see if that ever <laughs> comes to fruition. Um, with that, let's take our first break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to answer more of your Lions questions right here on the Spotify Green Room app. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... 
that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, um, let me pull up some questions that were coming in there, and uh, we'll get right back into this. And we are back here on the Green Room app, answering your questions live here. If you want to join us next time, make sure you load up the Green app, uh, Green Room app, uh, 10.30 a.m. on Saturdays, <laughs> Eastern time. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be a struggle. This whole episode is going to be a struggle. Uh, we're going to just do text questions here, so no live guests this week. Um, hopefully, we'll, they'll have that function working in again next week. But let's go to... Uh, Let's go to Tyler. He says, if any, do Lions have a 1,000-yard rusher or receiver this year? Oh, boy. We, we, have, we have Tyrell Williams has done it once. That's it out of the receivers that they have. TJ Hawkinson, I would say, is probably a candidate for potentially getting 1,000 yards. And then 1,000-yard rusher, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think Hawkinson, uh, if you're just talking just you know one category, then I yeah. would say Hawkinson. But if you're talking like if you can include rushing and receiving, then I think Swift could get there with, oh. with the you know all purpose. You know what I, I mean? I would. I, I will say Swift will get there. Thousand yeah. all purpose yards. Yeah, book it. All, pur- but, all purpose. Uh, but I rushing about, yards, I don't think so. Yeah, it's 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 a, that's a tough ask. What do you think, Ryan? I don't know, especially if you're if you. I'm not putting too much stock in the ESPN projections, I promise you. But if he's only getting 188 carries to get a thousand yards, would be insane. Um, <laughs> True. But uh, yeah, I, Hawkinson. Here's the thing: I keep on having to think about it. There's a 17th game. It's like True. an extra True. game. So True. like you know, getting a thousand yards, I mean, might not be such a such a benchmark anymore. They might have to move the field goal post on that a little bit, but. I'm going to say Tyrell Williams does it. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, why yeah, that, the hell not? Well, it's it's bolder than I, I'm willing to say. That's sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think Hawkinson could get it. And maybe this was like me during minicamp and OTAs, like kind of self-fulfilling prophesying a little bit because just every time I went out there, it seemed like him and Goff were talking or him and Goff were throwing balls to each other or him and Goff were, were doing something just those two. I really feel like those two are working on a chemistry, and I really think given the surrounding cast, Hawkinson might be the center of the offense. And and yeah. that that I know that sounds weird and bold because there aren't a lot of offenses in the NFL that are centered around a tight end, but Two. Man, I, I, I you too. Yeah, the yeah, 49ers honestly. and, and the Raiders, maybe, right? If you want right. to talk about Darren Waller. Darren Waller, yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in Kansas City to an extent, right? Like Travis Kelsey is the dude. Sure, like sure, he's sure, Mr. Sure. Reliable, right? But I, I will say that you want something bold. TJ Hawkinson will be the 
he'll be a top three tight end this year. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's, you know, with with Kelsey, uh, you know, probably being the top guy, I think he could. And then you want to talk about, um, you know, then you get to two former Iowa boys at, at two, three. I'd buy that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from Pierre. Uh, he says, do you guys think the Lions will sign a safety? Yeah, if Todd Gurley doesn't, right? If if it's not, if if they finally, you know, give the give up on the Todd Gurley hope, um that seems like the most natural spot to have one signed, right? We talked about this um recently when we were talking about the the battles last week. Um, you know, having a Will Harris D Marlowe battle at safety is is fine, but you know, if those are your safety 2 and safety 3s, you really don't have a safety four. Right. Uh, and then if you don't have a safety four and one of those guys get hurt, you've completely eliminated the ability to go three safeties wide. So that's seems like the thinnest position. Uh, right now, if if one of those guys go down, you're looking at uh, you know what we saw on camp. It's looking, it would look like Jalen Elliott, the undrafted uh, free agent from Notre Dame last year, would be right. the guy who would step in. And so that – uh, you know, the fact that he was on the practice squad all year and now all of a sudden he's in your two deep, uh, it, it shouldn't fill you with warm and fuzzies. You know, that's, that seems like a natural spot that I would be targeting if I were the Lions. You know, when we're talking about camp battles, I really feel like Billy Madison with the flute at the end when they're doing the decathlon. <laughs> And and Eric Eric, get, Eric gets done playing the violin, and it's really funny because the guy's name is Eric in the movie too. <laughs> yeah. he gets done he's good. He's good. Like he's when it, good. when it comes to camp battles and all of his good good off season stuff, like Eric's just on the ball, and I'm just like, yeah, what he said. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. And with that, let's let's move on to uh, next question. This one comes from Tommy. Yes. Um, what are your expectations for Levi? Uh, GM seemed sorry, it keeps GM seemed high on him. So Levi owns Arike. Um, is I guess here start. It, does he start in week one? No, and I know that's not going to be popular. <gasps> it's going to be very unpopular. Uh, but I think it's probably going to be Deshaun Hand that gets the start. But he, I, you, you how much say can you that? Really, I, <laughs> it's very on brand. Very on brand. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I, I, I honestly, for the future of this team, I would hope uh, Levi wins the job and he's the starter. Mm-hmm. But so often these teams are reluctant to push rookies into starting lineups unless they need to. And the coaches tend to favor the veterans that have been there. But I can tell you what, as much of a Deshaun Hand fan as I am, uh, I had some questions about him at camp. And I have um, some concerns over his ability to stay healthy. And so that comes with a lot of red flags for me. And so if Levi is the upside and you're playing for the future, then yeah, start him. I, I now again, I'm saying technically starting. I think hand starts. I also think they'll probably play an equal amount of snaps to each other. You know right. what I mean? So, yep. so uh, I think it, it, maybe I'm getting caught up on a technicality here, but um, I do expect him and Hand to be kind of splitting that job uh, in week one. What about you, Ryan? What are, what are your expectations for Levi, either as a starter or just, you know, end of the year, what, what sort of stat line are we looking at here? 
Oh, man. Yeah, I, I think what's most important, right, is him just being a consistent contributor as part of a rotation. Like, I mm-hmm. don't even really – I think that, you know, we, we talk ourselves into it each year, but I think the Lions' defensive line is pretty solid. And Eric <laughs> makes a great point about, you know, the the coaching staffs, I think, around the NFL uh, in general. They, they do favor the veterans, and they're going to give them every opportunity to – to make their bread, but I, uh, I, I, I really, I think here's a better question: Who's going to get more snaps, Aleem McNeil or Levi? That is a good question because I feel like if I would have asked Eric the question, "Does Aleem McNeil start?" I think his answer would have been yes. Am I right? Yeah, Lee McNeil starts, but uh, uh, Levi gets more snaps. How's that? So Ooh. Levi, as the backup, will get more snaps. Yeah, yeah. and that makes sense because you it know, does. Yeah, in terms of formation wise, nose tackle might not be out there as much. Period. Right. That's yeah, kind of that, the idea. Yeah, it's like a fifty percent of the time position. Um, and McNeil, when he shifts out to the three, uh, you know, wh- when they go to like a four man front and they use their sta- uh, stand up outside linebackers as ends, and then they're just going down to two down guys, uh, McNeil will slot in behind uh, Levi Hand, Michael Brockers, and probably behind Nick Williams as well. So, um, but yeah, when they want a pure nose, McNeil is is the guy they're going to turn to. Yeah. All right, let's move to a new question. Uh, interesting one from Nathan. This one might have us kind of digging into some research a little bit. But he asks, uh, has any other team tried the idea of having a bunch of players with chips on their shoulder? And do you think this is a better way to retool the team than how Bob Quinn threw free agents at holes? You know, I, I can't think. I can't think of an entire roster with chips on their shoulder. <laughs> I, I just, I just immediately think of the Philadelphia Eagles dream team in 2012. <laughs> Like, is that the opposite of chips on their shoulder? That's just like I, I think that's the opposite. So the op- <laughs> yeah. the opposite really failed. So maybe they're going so far in the opposite direction that <laughs> this is this is going to work. We're looking at we're looking at an eleven and six football team. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I mean I, I've seen the replacements before. Have you guys ever seen that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that counts. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it, it's it's tough, right? Because like. This season was so, this offseason was so unique for the Lions and really for every team given all yeah. the COVID and, and the, the salary cap stuff. I think it was, I think the whole chip on the shoulder thing is a nice storyline. I'm not sure it was entirely, you know, purposeful. I think, I think it was more born out of, you know, necessity than maybe a strategy because the Lions just didn't have a lot of room in, in terms of salary cap, but they sure had a heck of a lot of room in terms of talent that they, that needed to be filled. And so, yeah, you go after these guys that that are going to come cheap because they've got a whole bunch of question marks. I don't know if it was if it was like a mentality thing more so than it was like get these guys that could have the potential if everything goes right finally, if everything finally clicks for them. And so I don't, I, I, I don't, I guess I don't really buy the narrative that this is like. A, a mentality locker room kind of building thing. Um, but, it, I mean, it'd be a nice storyline if, if that's how it ends up working out. I, I'm interested to hear Eric's answer, but I think real quick, Jeremy, to your point, like, that your article made, like, if Brad Holmes came in here with the expectation Matthew Stafford is going to be his quarterback, how different this team would look. Yeah. It definitely wouldn't be filled with a bunch of guys with necessarily with chips on their shoulder, but who knows, with the salary cap, I, I think that's a that's a really, you know interesting snafu that nobody was really anticipating. Yeah, I think there's a couple factors that play in salary cap being the most, right? right. Um, they knew they were going to eat a ton of dead cap this year and that it, they were going to be limited in their money. And so when you're limited in money, you're basically gambling on players. And so what is it that you – what part of their – 
what trait, I guess, do they have that you want to gamble on? And and sometimes you'll see GMs that will gamble on a play on players with an injury history because they can get them cheaper and right. then just hope they stay healthy. Then you get another set of GMs that are willing to gamble on uh, players that have off the field issues, hoping that they can keep themselves uh, together. Like Martin Mayhew did that a few times, right? And so with um, with this coaching or with this GM in front office, it looks like they're gambling on guys that they think have upside but have kind of been dismissed. And so that I do think was a purposeful strategy of we don't have a lot of funds. Let's look at guys have, that have been kind of looked over and see if we can get those guys, you know, with you know, quote unquote chips on their shoulder to try and bring in. I also think that that's a reflection of this coaching staff. So no, I don't think we've seen this many chips on their shoulders uh, uh, on a roster before, just the same way as we haven't seen this many former players as coaches uh, on a, on a staff before as well. So I think there's a combination of those two things, the salary cap and the coaching staff. Eric's point just made me think of something really interesting though. Like how oftentimes, an NFL team, we, we talk about, you know, what, what's going to be the identity of this team, but like the identity is really predicated on the quarterback. And if there's anybody who has a bigger chip on their shoulder on the team <laughs> than anybody, it's Jared Goff, right? Sure. Like, I mean, he has, he has everything to prove. And I think that maybe that kind of, that really sets the tone because I think if Matthew Stafford's the quarterback, well, things are a little bit different. No question. No question. And I, I think what will be really interesting is to see how their free agency strategy changes once they have, you know, significant funds. Because, you know, I don't, I don't think yeah. this is necessarily their idea of how to team build. It was how to kind of survive this season and, and figure out how they can sport a, a team that can at least compete or, you know, we, we've talked about it before. If some of these guys that they're hitting or that they're, that they're uh, signing hit, um, find those diamond in the roughs. Well, then you can either spin it for a comp pick, or suddenly you got a, a good guy to stick around that can be maybe part of the fu- the foundation. But um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think we can necessarily make any big sweeping judgments of like, oh, Brad Holmes knows how to build a team in free agency much better than than Bob Quinn just because of this free agency period. I think I think this was just a very unique situation that he was put in. Yeah, you, you know, look when you look back at the past three GMs. You have to gamble at some point when yeah. you are faced with an obstacle. You know, the cap was a big issue for Mayhew. So Mayhew would gamble on early round draft picks and then be, and then he was, he made a lot of safer draft picks on day three, uh, to try and build the roster because he was trying to infuse talent. Uh, Bob Quinn ended up gambling mostly on day two, thinking that he could hit on some diamonds in the rough. And then he played it a little bit safer in the first round and then in the later rounds. Uh, whereas Brad Holmes, who seems more, you know, at home with the draft, he, he took his gambling, uh, to the free agency market. So, you know, every team's got to gamble somewhere. You gotta, and it just, it just, with everything being the way it was, it just, this was the, uh, the easiest spot for, I think, Holmes to invest in his, uh, his chips. And, and I haven't done any research on it really and eric I'm, I'm sure you've probably taken a look at it but in terms of like the rams and their their you know uh their their spending in free agency in the past anything that you've noticed there with any trends or anything no not really it's just they they value experience and proven players more than they value the unproven players right that's why you see them gamble away 
uh, or I'm not gamble, trade away first round draft first picks. round picks. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Because they're like, I'd rather invest in a player that I know is going to do something as opposed to a guy that I may have to mold or or uh, you know develop because they're in a much different situation right now in trying to win. And so we'd almost have to go back to when the Rams uh, had when they drafted Jared Goff, like we have to look at what was their strategy then. And, and, and honestly, you know, it makes sense to look at them, not just because of Brad Holmes, but because of Ray Agnew, because Ray Agnew was on the pro personnel side of things. And Ray Agnew was a huge, uh, you know, component for the lions this off season in the front office, specifically in free agency. So, yeah, I think we'd have to go further back to kind of look at like where, it, what have these guys experienced in our front office to see, you know, what they might do moving forward. But yeah, the caps just—I think the cap really just uh, hamstrung them this year. I, I want to go back to the point you, you made there about the Rams valuing uh, experience over over maybe you know draft picks or undrafted guys because that was actually one of the questions we got on the website, um, postulating that maybe the Rams had found out something that that other teams hadn't found out, which is that those experienced great players are more valuable than, than potentially like first round picks, like trading Jalen Ramsey for a first round pick that turned out to be pretty good. Is, is that maybe something that you guys see could be a strategy going forward, you know, from, from other teams? Cause we really don't see it that often with any, any positions that aren't quarterback really getting traded for, for high value because people value those draft picks. So is, is there a chance you think maybe right now teams overvalue draft picks? No, I mean, in my opinion, no. Um, Just because of the fact that um, that strategy works when you think you're one player away. You know what I mean? When I'm Mm -hmm. one player away from getting my defense rock solid, I'm willing to gamble my my first rounders when I'm one player away from solidifying my offense with Stafford then I'm willing to gamble away multiple first rounders the the draft is how you build a team for longevity and the and free agency and trading is how you build the team to win now and so how long like right now the Rams have set themselves up to win in the next two to three years but then there's going to be a lot of money that's going to be coming due to these guys, and they're going to have to start letting players that are key that play key roles walk. Look at John uh, Johnson for them, sure. right? Their yeah. safety. He was a captain. He was a vital piece, and they just had to let him go. Uh, I'm sure they would have kept him. And, and how much will his loss impact their defense because of how valuable the safeties are in, in that scheme? So, yeah, I mean, they they seem to think that they're close enough that they're willing to take a run at it and that's when you can give trade away those big first round picks in my opinion um whereas the lions are in the complete opposite they i need foundation i need guys i need first rounders and and first rounders are you know as close to guaranteed foundational pieces as you can get and so uh i mean you just gotta hit them it's tough right because i feel like there's always this kind of belief that you know the, at some point, the boat's going to sink. You can't keep this boat afloat of just trading away draft picks for for top tier guys every year. But at the same time, like I know I know the Rams haven't won a Super Bowl, but they've they've been close. They've made it to the playoffs three out of the four past four years, I believe, and and they've stayed competitive just kind of doing this every year. Sure. And so I, I mean, the, I guess it, it, it's more of a long. Like I don't think we can necessarily draw any conclusions now, but I think it is kind of an interesting debate whether you can kind of maintain that sort of level of success um, long term and I, I think maybe what it relies on is drafting fantastically 
in day two and day three, right? Because that's that's really how the Rams have managed. Like because you get a guy like John Johnson on day three, you can afford to maybe spend your first and second, and not have a first and second round. You just have to be really, really good in the late rounds, and I don't think that's very easy to do. Well, okay, there's a couple of examples that I want to give you of what I've of how I think teams have handled this the right way and the wrong way. Um, one is the Saints. They're mm-hmm. they've they've been doing this strategy for a while now. Sure. Yeah. And but and the check is going to come due for them. I mean, there's just no way around it. It's they're going to be at a, po- a point of, of where they're not going to be able to rebound. They they were wizards this offseason to get it done. Um, but at some point, it's it's going to come due. Then you look at a team like the Vikings, who were. Uh, they had to. They had to basically put a stop to their spending because they just didn't have it, and so then they they took steps back. The Packers, um, you know, they looked like they were at a spot like the Vikings, but then they were aggressive in making key free agent moves to get the uh, the Smith brothers as their pass rushers that couple off seasons ago, and, and they found a way to rebuild their team quicker. So, like, it's possible to take this approach, but it's also possible to fall into. Uh, you know, serious cap problems where you're going to have to be like, you know, Dumbledore to figure out how to get out of it. <laughs> right. Because I mean, essentially that's what the saints are doing. Right. Like the, the, the check will come due. I mean, you can't just keep pushing it forward. You know, the, the thing, Eric, about a lot of the teams that you just mentioned, like the Vikings have taken a significant step back because their drafting hasn't been very good. Exactly. You know, outside exactly. of Justin Jefferson, you talk about a team like the saints, like the 2017 draft class for the Saints might be one of the best draft classes of all time um, yep. as far as a team putting it together. And, you know, you, you look at the Rams. I, you have a guy like Aaron Donald, and that just changes everything. Mm-hmm. Changes everything. Sure. Ha- having an elite talent, like a generational talent like that, then you can go and be like, hey, I'm going to go get another generational talent in Jalen Ramsey. So, like, I- I'm with you, Jeremy. Like, I don't think you can you can really make any conclusions based on just how this one team has done it. Um, but I-, I have a side question real quick that maybe we can answer in just, like, you know, 30 seconds or so. But what do you think the likelihood is of the Lions using those picks that they got for Matthew Stafford actually drafting players? Or do you think that they could end up being, like, trade assets? Uh, I mean, I think that a hundred depend, hundred percent depends on what happens this year, right? Like if Jared Goff yeah. is there, it, you know, turns out to be the dude, and like they're competitive, and the defense takes a step, and you know, even even if that means finishing, you know, I'm going to say 500, even though it, it's barely possible, they finish eight eight and one. Um, <laughs> I, I would say, you know, then yeah, maybe maybe they take a stab and, and use some of that draft capital to to get a guy. Um, it, it, you know, he. It certainly seems like Brad Holmes uh, has has quite an affinity for for how they ran things in Los Angeles. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, maybe have some inspiration from them, from Les Snead. Yeah, it really comes down to golf, right? Um, yeah, yeah. If if you think you need to replace golf, then you use your assets to go get his replacement. If you think golf can sustain, uh, then you know you use it to, to fill out other spots. Golf is really the catalyst here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to answer more of your questions live here on the Green Room app. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs>
right, we are back here on the green room app. I almost said locker room that time. Can't get it right the first time. Anyways, uh, where we let answer all of your Lions questions. This is a text version only because we're having some uh, maintenance issues here on the new app here. Uh, let's go to Andy who asks, if I am a betting man, and I know Ryan's ears just perked up, if if I'm a betting man on a Lions game, what game should I bet on? Or who, what should I bet on and what game? I mean, you 100% have to just take the 49ers in week one, right? Really? Just just like that? Do you remember what the line is on that game? It's like seven, seven and a half or something? If it moves to seven and a half, like, just be a good, just be a good fan and put, put, put like 10, 15 bucks on the Lions. But like, if it stays at seven, I mean, I don't know. Like, the 49ers, they just look like they're prime and ready. Like, last season was just kind of like this thing where it's like, I don't know. I, I'm a believer in the 49ers. I'm a believer in the 49ers. Who knows if Trey... Do you, do you think Trey Lance starts week one? No, I don't think he does. But uh, here's the thing. Like, I think betting on week one of the NFL is a fool's errand. Oh, you don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I think you stay the hell away from week one. You wait, you wait until week 10. Until you have at least an idea of what the hell's going on in this league. Well, so I I have to go back because there was a there was a podcast back on Grantland that like Robert Mays did um, way back in the day, and they were talking about betting trends for like week one and week two of the NFL because they have so little like Vegas has so little data that they're right. going they're going solely based on the year prior. So like right. when they're establishing lines and things like that, like a lot of their information is um, is informed by you know stuff that happened in in years prior, and it isn't until like week three that um, you know they have enough data to go off of. So like week one and week two, like you can really clean up if you if you have a uh, if you have a good idea of kind of what moves have been made in the off season and things like that. Like you can you can make like they say that week one and week two are the weeks where you can make your money. Got to be pretty darn smart, though. Hey, or lucky. That's lucky. why. Hey. Lucky. Let's be honest. Lucky. That's why I'll be broke this year. <laughs> Eric, I don't know. I, we've never really talked about gambling, so I don't know if that's uh, a pastime of yours or not. But do you have do you have a uh, bet, an NFL <laughs> bet that you would feel comfortable on right now? Are we talking just the lines to win? Or are we talking uh, either way? Know, I'll just say, no, no, no. It doesn't have to be the Lions to win. I'll say any sort of Lions bet. If you want to bet on the, the season over-under or, you know, over-under on yardage or the Lions <laughs> lose a specific game that you're you're certain of, I'll, I'll open the floor to it all. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I can tell you the one that I like and the one that I want to be true is uh, Lions-Vikings first game. Uh, on October 10th, I think they're going to win it. They haven't <laughs> lost on October 10th in 20 years. I, so, um, <laughs> I, I, at first I thought you were going like, this is already turning into a Vikings hate podcast. And I feel like you guys are doing that to, to spite me. What? No. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I know, uh, October 10th is also a special date for you. Uh, so <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, what what's the over under on wins this year? Is it six? Five, no, and, a half? F- five and a half. Yeah. Hey, screw it. I'm taking the over. Oh! Give me the over. Wow. If you, life if savings. Boom. If you're very in tune listener, you just heard Jeremy guzzle a bunch of Honolulu <laughs> blue Kool Aid. <laughs> All right. Next question comes from Carlos. No, not that Carlos. Everybody, relax. No. Oh, um, 
He says, besides golf because of positional importance, what injury to a specific player would you be most concerned about for this team? So who is the most, the least expendable, I guess, is, is another way to put. Frank Ragnow. I, I gosh, yeah. if they lost Frank Ragnow, what a, I mean, they, there's a couple of guys on this roster that they just, if they lost them, we would be just devastating. Uh, Hawkinson, Decker, Ragnow, Ooh, those, a good those, one, yeah. yeah, those three guys, if you lost any of those three guys, I don't think you have a replacement that can step up in. I mean, maybe you can, maybe Crosby is, is, is able to fill in for Decker. So maybe it's Hawkinson and Ragnow are, are your one, two, can't afford to lose them because they're, they play such vital roles on the offense. A lot of the other guys you can kind of lose. Maybe maybe Michael Brockers, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, he's going to play a huge role, much more than I think we're giving him credit for. But, yeah, I, I, Hawkinson and, and Ragnow are the two guys I would be terrified of losing. You got somebody to add to that list, Ryan? For, can you hear me okay, by the way? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Um, I know you're me, outside, though, by the way. Yeah, well, it's so nice outside. I can't, <laughs> I can't help but be out here. It's kind of just like it's drizzling a little bit, but... Uh, Speaking of rainy days, like if Jeff Okuda got hurt, I would just be like severely bummed. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would be. I would be very, very distraught if Jeff Okuda were to you know labor through another season with injuries. Yeah, I mean, if he if he were to you know, I'm not at all trying to say this is going to happen or whatever, but like yeah, if he goes on IR, then the the bust you know crowd gets gets very loud oh, yeah. right at that point mm-hmm. yep and no one wants to see that for a guy who hasn't really been given a fair shot yet in the nfl so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, in terms in terms of like bummer like that would be one of the bigger bummers i don't know if it would impact us this team necessarily as much as losing agreed yeah rag now or, or or hawkinson i think hawkinson's probably my answer but uh yeah that might be like a 10 out of 10 on the bummer scale God, what um what preseason game was it it wasn't last year it was the year before do you guys remember when Ragnow and jared davis both got hurt wasn't it like in the first quarter too yeah like it was just like a total total yeah. like you know wet balloon it was terrible Let's get off that topic. That's a sad yeah, topic. Yeah, <laughs> Jeremy. God. Uh, Nate Lock asks, has if he's been signed yet? As far as I know, he is the one remaining uh, line draft pick that is not signed. Um, I also think that he took an Instagram video yesterday at the Lions facility, so there is a chance he's kind of hanging around after OTAs, maybe to to get that done. But uh, unless unless. You've seen something, Eric. I think I think we're up to date, and that he has not. He's the only one that hasn't signed. Yeah, Iffy is the is the only one that I have not seen officially show up in some form. <clears throat> All right, perfect. Uh, Devin Taylor. <laughs> Devin Taylor. Uh, we were Devin talking about Taylor. <laughs> we were talking about preseason injuries, and, and Devin Taylor came. <laughs> Didn't he tear an ACL or something in the preseason? I think. I don't know. Anyways, Devin in our chat asks, "Is Taylor Decker a top ten left tackle in this league?" Uh, he's. I'll, I, I'll say he's yes. Fringe. I'll say he's fringe. Okay. I'll, I'll be. I'll be a little bolder and say yes. Right. Name ten better ones right now. You, oh boy. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I mean. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're so mean. Um, yeah. I, I, I. He's there, right? Like, I mean, he's like he's rock solid. Like, I think that there's definitely this perception that uh, Frank Ragnow is the dude on that line, but. Taylor Decker's no slouch, man. There's a reason why he got the. There's a reason why he got a bag. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, he's really had two phenomenal seasons last year, and I th- it was his rookie year that he was really good yeah, too, yeah. right? And then he and then he had the labrum tear that that kind of set him back a year or two. 
Um, but yeah, I, I feel like right now he has great bookends to his, his career, and, and I'm not saying he's done, but um, I, I think that's where his talent lies. And as long as he strings together more of those together, then yeah, absolutely, he's a top 10 left tackle. Um, I think maybe the only reservation there is that he hasn't done it consistently, and I think that labor and tear really kind of... Um, not not his fault and and not necessarily representative of the kind of player he is. Um, let's go to Carlos next as we, we wrap things up. Um, he says, don't you think it's fair to say Stafford will find that his offensive talent on the Rams is less than what he had on the Lions, apart from McVay versus Bevel? Is that fair to say? Do you think the Rams will represent a, a significant drop-off in, in offensive talent for him? Hmm. As far as like the weapons that are around him, I, I think I think that would be what the question is. Maybe maybe you can throw offensive line in there as well. Yeah. Um, well, th- I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind. I, I, I think the Lions' offensive line is going to be one of the best in the NFL, uh, and I think that it's probably it's a little bit m- more. It's, it's weird to say that it's a little bit more established, but when you got guys like Ragnow and you got guys like Decker. Like, you have a really good foundation there, right? So you plug in a guy like Sewell, maybe Vitae's healthy. You know, Jonah Jackson benefits by being in between Ragnow and Decker. You're looking at a really good offensive line. Now, when it comes to skill position players, I don't well, – I, don't, to, I, I, th- I think people kind of I, – I, I think people kind of sleep on the Rams running game. Okay, yeah. So I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in Cam Akers. So – yeah, I think that's gonna that's gonna do wonders. Especially, we we all saw what Stafford was able to do in play action, right? So, I think he's got he's got enough weapons in in LA. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, he's got Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, Robert Woods, and Deshaun Jackson. I mean, that's a nice four uh, wide receiver combo to have, right? So, I, I think the receivers are, are worth. I think he downgrades the offensive line and the the as as you just said, Jeremy, and I think tight end as well. Yeah, and I, I, well, I, I will say that I, Higby's still there, right? Uh, yeah, so? yeah, but is Higby Hig, Higby's not Hawkinson in my no, opinion? No, he, he's not Hawkinson um, by any yes. means. Yeah, yeah, and, and he, to um, be yeah. to be clear, the the question is, is it a is it a downgrade or upgrade from what Matthew Stafford had? So, like, we're talking last year, like. 2020 Stafford had, you know, a pretty good wide receiving core, not a great running game, uh, a, a pretty good tight end. Now that he's in a new situation. He had a Pro Bowl tight a, end. He had a Pro Bowl tight okay, end, Okay, Let's not sell Hawkinson. Well, uh, okay, here. okay. I'm not one to say, listen, I'm not the one <laughs> oh, on this yeah, podcast no. that sells Hawkinson. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, I think that's, it's a harder question, right? Because, I mean, he had a pretty good supporting cast of, of guys last year. So now is he going, is he getting better or worse? It is, but the biggest detractor is that he had Matt Patricia, who was rotating off as a <laughs> lineman. Sure. Oh That's like, fair. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I think I'm worried about what Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford are going to be able to do together. <laughs> worried in a way for the Lions or worried in a way for Matthew Stafford? Because I I, there are a lot of Lions fans that are just now like, Sean McVay's actually an idiot, and he's the reason Jared Goff sucks. <laughs> And, 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 you know, the, the it, it's not going to be as bright a future for, for Matthew Stafford as everyone thinks. Is there is there even an inch of you that agrees with that kind of narrative that, that's coming out of Detroit? The, no. the only the only thing. No, no I, I, I'm, I'm no. But the only thing that I that I'm thinking of is that the narrative on McVeigh is that McVeigh is uh, is very controlling. 
And then I think back to uh, the Arizona game last year where Bevel calls a timeout and Matthew Stafford's on the sidelines yelling, trust me, trust me, trust me. (laughs) Right? Right. And so um, that is really what I'm interested to see. That dynamic is just like a personality thing. Who, yeah, who is willing to give the reins and trust them? Is McVay willing to not have as much control and let Stafford be Stafford? Or is McVay going to try and control Stafford like a puppet and then that's going to get some like feedback? I think Stafford is flexible enough as a personality to allow him to be, you know, um, you know, told what to do. He's, he's, he's so much of a team player that that would, that he would work in that, in that situation. But at the same time, he's also a 10 year veteran that knows what he's doing and he needs you to just trust him. So that's the only wrinkle that I can kind of see. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, Real quick. I I just want to say that I think that both of them have enough skin in the game that if they do get on the same page, that's what I'm going to get nervous about the rest of the NFL and how they're going to be able to handle these two because Stafford has just as much to prove as McVay does. Sure. That's fair. That's fair. Sure. All right. Last one. We're going to make this one really quick uh, from uh, our friend Pierre. He asks, if you guys had to guess right now, will Tavai make the team? Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's make, you know what? Yes. All three of us say yes. And that's what we're going to go on. We finally agree on something. Uh, thanks, everyone, who joined us live on the Green Room app as we went through some technical errors. I appreciate uh, you all your patience, and I'm sorry we didn't get you on the show. Uh, we'll hopefully have that worked out next uh, week. But thank you all for listening as well on the podcast. We'll have our full podcast on Monday night live on our Twitch channel uh, or First Bite. Also on uh, Wednesday or Thursday, make sure you're following us on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit. Get notifications there. Follow us on any of your podcast apps, and we will see you guys next time.